0: Welcome to Shipwreck Sunday, where we investigate disasters at sea and the impact that they have on the world today. My name is Eleanor. Today, we'll be discussing the sinking of RMS Tahiti, an ocean liner and refrigerated cargo liner that suffered greatly due to the Spanish influenza pandemic of 1918, and later sank. If you'd like to hear her story from start to finish, stay tuned. disclaimer for our younger audience before we dive in. This story does include details of a maritime disaster resulting in the loss of a vessel, a pandemic, wartime violence, and death that may be disturbing to some audiences. Viewer discretion is advised for those under the age of 13. Please keep in mind that I'm not a mariner or expert in the field of maritime history, but I've done my research. Okay everyone, let's get into it. RMS Tahiti, or Port Kingston as she was first known, was built by Alexander Stephen and Sons of Govan on the River Clyde for the Imperial Direct West Mail Company, a subsidiary of Elder Dempster Shipping Limited. She was laid sometime in 1903 in Yard No. 403, being launched on April 19, 1904, and being completed in August of that year. As for her specs, Port Kingston was an ocean liner and refrigerated cargo liner that displaced 7,585 gross registered tons and 4,155 net registered tons, which is a ship's cargo volume capacity. In Imperial measurements, she was 460 feet long, had a beam of 55.5 feet wide, a draft of 27 feet, and a depth of 24.4 feet deep. In metric measurements, that's 140 meters long, a beam of 16.9 meters wide, a draft of 8.2 meters, and a depth of 7.4 meters deep. For passenger capacity, she had berths for 277 first class, 97 second class, and 141 third class passengers on four decks, with a crew of 135. She was specially equipped with refrigerated holds with a capacity of 36,370 cubic feet, or 1,030 cubic meters, to carry fruit. As for propulsion, Port Kingston had two triple expansion steam engines, which powered two screws and were capable of producing 1,443 nominal horsepower. With this setup, she could reach speeds of 17 knots, which is 31 kilometers per hour and 19 miles per hour. Her port of registry for Imperial Direct West Mail Company was Bristol, England, and her code letters were VTWH and her official number was 117715. She would remain with her original owners until 1911. Port Kingston was also a very unique ship in that her hull was not the traditional black coloring we see for steamships of this era. Her hull was a beautiful dark forest green, with her keel being bright orangey red and orange smoke sasks to complement simply gorgeous in 1911 the union steamship company of new zealand purchased port kingston having her refitted in bristol and renaming her to what we will call her for the rest of this video rms tahiti rms tahiti was to serve the route from sydney australia to san francisco california in the pacific ocean with stops in wellington new zealand rorotonga and tahiti She began working this new route on December 11th, 1911. However, this wouldn't last long. As we know, World War I began July 28th, 1914, and RMS Tahiti would be swept up into this conflict, as many ships of this era were. If you'd like to hear about another requisitioned ocean liner, check out our video on RMS Lincastria. When World War I broke out in 1914, RMS Tahiti was requisitioned as a troop transport ship, being called HMNZT Tahiti, which stands for His Majesty's New Zealand Transport. She joined the convoy transporting the first detachment of the Australian and New Zealand Imperial Expeditionary Forces, which left King George Sound, Albany, Western Australia, on November 1, 1914. The following year, on September 11th, 1915, she arrived in Wellington, New Zealand, with the first casualties of the Gallipoli campaign. If you're unaware, the Gallipoli campaign was a military campaign on the Gallipoli Peninsula from February 19th, 1915 to January 9, 1916. She continued to serve in World War I, and during the war, a pandemic would break out. The 1918 influenza pandemic was the most severe pandemic in recent history, though there have been others. In 2009, the H1N1 pandemic swept across America, and before that, there was the 1968 H3N2 pandemic and the 1957-1958 to 1958 H2N2 pandemic. The worst of these more recent pandemics was the 1918 influenza pandemic. We aren't going to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic, since that is a can of worms I don't want to open. The H1N1 virus originated from this 1918 pandemic with genes of avian origin. It was first identified in military personnel serving in World War I, and it infected around 500 million people, which at the time was one third of the world's population. The number of deaths has been estimated at 50 million worldwide, with around 675,000 Americans dying to the disease. The disease was indiscriminate, killing the young, the old, the sick, and the healthy. At this time, there were no antibiotics to aid with infection, and there was no vaccine against this particular strain of the flu, allowing it to run rampant. It was also nicknamed the Spanish Flu. Fun fact for you, I had this particular strain of the flu when I was six months old as a premature baby, and I'm still here. I'm just that stubborn, I guess. The Spanish Flu plays a large role in Tahiti's story. HMNZT Tahiti departed New Zealand on July 10, 1918 with 1,117 troops and 100 crew aboard, heading to England. She met up with the rest of her convoy at Freetown in Sierra Leone, and at this time, reports show that the disease ashore led to the ships quarantining to avoid infection. Well, the ships were resupplied by local workers, and officers of the convoy ships attended a conference aboard the armed merchant cruiser HMS Mantua, and this particular vessel had suffered an influenza outbreak three weeks prior. Well, soldiers started to get sick in the convoy, and the first soldier suffering from Spanish flu reported to the hospital aboard Tahiti on August 26, 1918, the same day she left Freetown. By the time she arrived in Devonport on September 10, 1918, 68 men had died from the disease, with nine dying on shore after her arrival. This leaves a mortality rate of 68.9 persons per 1,000 population. We don't know for sure, but researchers estimate over 1,000 people on Tahiti were sick with influenza at some point. An enquiry later found that mortality was the worst in those over 40 years old, and that those who were older than 25 were more likely to die than those who were not. Mortality was also higher in those who were sleeping in bunk beds rather than hammocks, and the conclusion brought by the inquiry points to overcrowding and poor ventilation that allowed the ship to have such an exceptionally high infection rate and death toll compared to other vessels that had sick soldiers aboard. It was one of the worst outbreaks worldwide aboard a ship for this particular pandemic. After serving in World War I and dealing with the Spanish flu, Tahiti returned to her owners in 1919, and her furnaces were converted from coal firing to oil firing, which makes ships much more efficient. In 1920, she made a voyage to Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada, and the next year she reverted back to her Sydney to San Francisco route. On November 3, 1927, Tahiti's bow collided with the Watson's Bay ferry Greycliff amidships on her port side, just off Bradley's Head in Sydney Harbor. The crowded ferry was split in two like a melon and sank in just three minutes, killing 40 of the 120 passengers aboard. This incident is referred to as the Greycliff disaster. For 10 years, RMS Tahiti worked dutifully, carrying passengers across the Pacific Ocean without incident. However, in 1930, disaster would strike. On August 12, 1930, Tahiti was carrying 103 passengers, 149 crew members, and 500 tons of general cargo when she departed Wellington to continue a voyage from Sydney to San Francisco. She was roughly 480 nautical miles southwest of Rorotonga at 4.30 a.m. on August 15, 1930, when her starboard propeller shaft broke, opening a huge hole in her stern and causing rapid flooding. Her wireless operator sent out a distress call, and her crew began launching distress signal rockets, preparing the passengers to abandon ship. They desperately tried to fight the flooding, however, it wasn't helping. At 10:10 p.m. the following day on August 16, 1930, Pennybrin, a Norwegian steamship, arrived on scene to assist. Pennybrin sat with Tahiti overnight with her floodlights pointed at Tahiti and her lifeboats ready to assist Tahiti's passengers and crew if need be. On August 17th at 9:30 a.m., all of Tahiti's passengers and some of her crew abandoned ship with all the lifeboats away in just 13 minutes. Talk about efficiency. Some of the crew remained aboard to try to slow the flooding and save Tahiti. A new ship had arrived on scene, signaling they could take aboard the passengers and crew of Tahiti, the American steamship Ventura. She scooped up those who fled the ship shortly after the lifeboats hit the water. More members from Tahiti's crew, with the help of a boat from Pennybrin, returned to Tahiti and began to try to save the first-class mail and luggage from the sinking ship, knowing then she was a goner. By 1.30pm on August 17th, Tahiti started to settle rapidly, and it became far too hazardous for her crew to stay on the ship, and so they abandoned it, having saved the ship's papers and bullion. Bullion, if you didn't know, is gold or silver in bulk before coining, and it's valued by weight. Without losing anyone, RMS Tahiti sank at 4.42 p.m. on August 17, 1930, at 24 degrees 44 minutes south and 166 degrees 15 minutes west, roughly 460 nautical miles from Rorotonga. A court of inquiry convened in Wellington, New Zealand, and afterward published its findings on the sinking in a report released on September 15, 1930. The report was issued by the United Kingdom's Board of Trade in London on December 11, 1930. According to the court's report, the sinking resulted from the breaking of the starboard propeller shaft that not only punctured Tahiti's hull at the stern and admitted water into her shaft tunnel, which the court said she could have survived, but it also tore a hole in the bulkhead that divided the shaft tunnel from the engine room and number three hold, which doomed her. The weight of the water flooding in tore the second hole in the bulkhead larger and larger, despite the crew's best efforts, and it eventually took down RMS Tahiti. The court found both the officials who had deemed Tahiti's compliance with standards of seaworthiness and the crew of Tahiti blameless in the disaster, stating that the breaking of a propeller shaft was a common event at sea. However, the level of damage Tahiti sustained from this was incredibly rare, and the court determined that Tahiti's sinking was, quote, "...due to a peril of the sea which no reasonable human care of foresight could have avoided." The court commended Tahiti's captain, T.A. Toten, for showing, quote, resource and cool, accurate judgment worthy of the highest praise, going further as to say that, quote, all ranks under him responded to the example that he set. And they noted the effort of the ship's engineering staff, too, saying the following, quote, On the engineers and the engine room and still cold staff under them fell the brunt of the fight. For close on 60 hours, without sleep and without respite, the engineers directed and waged a gallant losing fight against the relentless waters, working for long periods deep in water and imminent danger of the collapse of the strained and partly rent bulkhead that imprisoned the wall of water high above them. It was their courage and endurance that made it possible for the master to delay until the propitious moment the giving of the final order to abandon the ship. The court would conclude its report by stating quote "We deem it our only duty to place on record this appreciation of the conduct of the master and all those under him. Covering a sinking with such a flawless evacuation and responsible captain and crew is so refreshing. Most of the stories I cover are not this way. For example, take Costa Concordia. Her captain chickened out and left before most of the passengers. You can check out our video on her to hear more. RMS Tahiti had a very interesting story, especially since more people died aboard her due to illness than in her sinking, which is an uncommon occurrence. Even for hospital ships, it can be more common for people to die in the sinking rather than in the operating room. If you'd like to hear about a World War I hospital ship with a nail-biting sinking, check out our video on HMHS Britannic, the youngest sister of RMS Titanic. Thanks so much to our lovely patrons for subscribing and supporting the channel, and myself as a creator. You guys are awesome, and it really does help us out. If you'd like to help support this channel and future episodes, go to patreon.com slash shipwrecksunday to join. Thank you for tuning in to Shipwreck Sunday. If you liked this episode and are listening on YouTube, please give us a like, leave us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. If you liked this episode and are listening on Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, please subscribe for more content and leave us a 5-star review, as it does help us reach more listeners like you. If you have any ships you'd like us to cover, please leave us a comment and you might hear your favorite ship here on the podcast. Check out our community tab for updates and to interact with us. And we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tune in next Sunday for the story of MV Goya, a Norwegian ship that was chartered by Nazi Germany for Operation Hannibal and sank with an enormous loss of life. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.